Hello, boys and ghouls. I bid you welcome to a staggeringly good episode all about mummies. So, join us as we wrap about just what it is that makes this ancient, languorous, bandaged man just so unstoppable. And now, walk like an Egyptian toward our untutankamonly good 26th episode. It's a real pyramid scream. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! mistake from an earlier photo as well so like i'd gone to costco and printed that out because i liked us with like our eyes closed you know just not getting it right your dad has the slyest smile it's very sweet but sometimes it looks a little bit devious not in a not in a bad way just in a mischievous kind of like you know troublemaking kind of way all right well do you have any uh horror-based gab that you've been holding on to I was thinking about this before I came in, and I realized that the horror-based things I've been doing this month have been watching movies about mummies, but also visiting a lot of celebrity graves with you. I went off on my own and found another one. You did? Uh, As you know, I live in Burbank. And you know, uh, Tim Burton grew up in Burbank. I did? No, I didn't. That's Tim Burton 101. He grew up in Burbank. Listen, I enjoy Tim Burton very much, but I've never, ever looked into anything like, about like him. where'd this guy come from yep that's cool yeah that makes me like burbank even more and i didn't think that was possible so his gloom though sort of i think comes as a response to growing up in a sunshiny place and in a very kind of um i don't want to say bland i like it here yeah but uh it's not, very family friendly i don't know what it was like when he was well, growing up you know what but... it's it's just like uh we went through with your uh with your friend who Kristen. Kristen, we invited Kristen to a cemetery yeah and she was like I didn't know what to expect. And I said, well, you know, there really are no gothic cemeteries in L.A. Everything's just too new. Yes. And then we found Walt Disney's grave. We did. uh, One Mark's brother, one Stooge. Nat King Cole, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Clayton Moore, the Mm -hmm. Lone Ranger. And um, Spencer Tracy. Yep. That was cool. So the legend of Tim Burton is that he grew up next to a cemetery. You know, just to give a little, um, when he does all these sort of creepy movies, they're like, It makes you know, Frank and Weenie make more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, when he does stuff involving kids, they're like, what was your upbringing like? I grew up in Burbank, next to a cemetery. Mm. And Burbank only has one cemetery, which is Valhalla, which is over by the airport. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a little research and I found what I think is the street Tim Burton grew up on. Cool. I don't know his address, but like, I know he grew up on Evergreen. 
and part of Evergreen tees off into the cemetery. Yeah. So I just gave it a drive-by. Sure. And you know what? You can really tell where Edward Scissorhands came from because it's just a double row of nearly identical one-story houses. Wow. Just like the unnamed town in Edward Scissorhands. Weird. So going into Valhalla Cemetery, I went there because I knew that Criswell is uh, buried there. Judging by your wide eyes. Is that a horror host? No. (laughs) uh, Knowing you, I took a stab in the dark. Horror host adjacent, let's say, because from the Tim Burton film, Ed Wood. Oh. The Jeffrey Jones character. Yes. The one who is like, I predict that in the year 1960, we will have colonized Mars. Yeah. That's Criswell. Got it. So Criswell is the real life guy who would give outlandish predictions on like the Tonight Show and and appeared in the beginning of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh Uh-huh. Which you and I have been to Vampira's grave. I've been to Bela Lugosi's grave. Mm -hmm. Ed Wood, it turns out, was cremated and we cannot visit his grave. So I went to Criswell, who I knew was uh, buried or interred pretty close to where I lived. I just never checked him out. Mm -hmm. So I went and did that. I'm not going to give you photographic evidence. Sure. I wouldn't have believed you otherwise. There we are. And on it says, uh, Criswell predicts. And then Charles Criswell King, 1907-1982. Oh, wow. So, uh, celebrity, definitely local color. Wow. I want to say that revisiting, um, not revisiting, but re-colon visiting celebrity graves, that, um, (laughs) you know, for a place like Forest Lawn in Glendale, which is, to use the verbiage that you used to describe the Westwood Cemetery, chock-a-block full of uh, celebrities. Oh, yeah, chock-a-block. They are very, if you trust the internet, they're very protective of the celebrities who are interred at Forest Lawn Glendale to the extent that they warned me when I was looking online because I was, I took you and Kristen on a tour of celebrity graves. Mm -hmm. Um, They warned online. They were like, here's a step-by-step, like start here, go here, face. The internet warned me, don't go asking employees at Forest Lawn, where can I go see Walt Disney? Where can I go? Because they're very defensive and they will kick you out. If they see you, you know, if you've got a map that says like celebrity graves at Forest Lawn and you hold it up like an idiot and they can see it, you're out of there. So I was trying to be as discreet as possible. And I believe this is because people would actually steal like nameplates, like the the brass nameplates. I guess so. I mean, I I suppose that's probably... What what the I just I just that never crosses my mind that that someone would do that because I just want to go and be there in that space and think about them and remember them and that's that's all I want I don't even I really want to take pictures. Jim Morrison's grave it's all you know graffitied out and so are the adjacent graves. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And I understand you know what I couldn't believe is that it was so easy to find Walt Disney's grave because I would it's kind of tucked away. But now that we have the internet, yeah, exactly. I mean, pre-internet it must have been much more difficult. But also post-internet, or now we're in internet land, I was kind of surprised we were the only people, you know, it's just... Well, there, there weren't like hordes of people there? Right. Well, not that I would expect maybe hordes. And, but, I, you know, and maybe on the weekends though, there'd be more. I would have expected tiny toys and various leavings. Right. And maybe there are there. and they just remove them. Well, there was a gate that was open. Yeah. And we were both under the impression that it's usually shut. It looks like that kind of gate. Because it's behind a little private garden or it's in a little private garden. Mm-hmm. But you can see, you know, it it's says like, Walt and Lillian. And, there it is. And there's a little statue of the Little Mermaid. And Not uh, the 92, like cartoon little mermaid but like the hans christian anderson mm, yeah yeah and for the folks at home what's hot in cemeteries this year well let me tell you now that i've been to two in a week pinwheels oh have they not always been not in my experience okay and i've uh i've been in a few cemeteries over the years yes 
And I think uh, pinwheels are the latest way to go. I'm very comfortable with that. It's a happy thing, I think. Everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. I'm Kat Knipe. And you're listening to Boys and Ghouls. And in this episode, we are covering The Mummy and Mummies. Have you seen my mummy? Womp, womp, womp. And this episode will come out two days after Mother's Day? This is kind of appropriate. Yeah. For mummies. the time. And by the way, we're doing this topic because Marshall had a dream about it. Yeah, I didn't have a dream about mummies. I had a dream that we did mummies as a topic. Yeah. So then is... he says to me, so I had this dream that we did mummies as a topic. Like, you know, the mummy and you know, all kinds of mummies. And I mean, I don't know. We don't have to do that. And I was like, are you crazy? You had a prophetic dream that we did this as a topic. We have to do this as a topic. So it was preordained. So a month later, we've both watched several mummy movies. Mm-hmm. For me, they're all sort of blending in my head because I've been watching a lot of mummy movies. Got it. Not only have I been watching a lot of mummy movies, but I went from watching almost no mummy movies. Over Christmas, I ran into a friend who uh, just started talking to me about the Karloff original 1932 mummy Mm -hmm. as if I'd seen it, which was a pretty good guess because I You're Marshall Hicks? (laughs) Because I have a horror movie podcast. And I'm like... Hey guys, listen to my podcast. And he's like, oh yeah, well, speaking of the mummy, and I was like, ah, slow your roll. I've never seen it. I don't know, for mummies? <laughs> yeah. It has been said that a man's best friend is his mummy. In Egypt today, this theory is to be in great dispute. For two bold adventurers are about to discover another kind of mummy. So I watched The Mummy, the Boris Karloff 1932 Mummy. I did too. For the first time ever. I did too. Do you have any like background information oh. on it? Can I talk to you in general about mummies? Sure. Let's start there. All right. We will primarily on this podcast be referring to ancient Egyptian mummies because that's the first type of mummy that comes to yeah. most people's minds. Well, once I realized that I couldn't get a hands on um, Santo versus the Aztec mummies. Mm-hmm. Then I said, you know what? I'm just going to leave Aztec mummies for another time. Yeah. Just all of Aztec mummies. I'm just right. going to put a pin in it. And folks, we're just going to focus on Egyptian mummies. Yeah. Because we're focusing on ancient Egyptian mummies, I found it interesting to learn that ancient Egyptian mummification came about mm-hmm. because they had accidentally created some mummies. Most Egyptians... Well, conditions are pretty dry out there. They are. And well before they started mummifying on purpose, Egyptians, whether they were royalty or layperson, were buried in shallow pit graves. And because it was so shallow, the arid desert air could get to the bodies and would mummify them. But then due to those spontaneous mummies happening, they started to incorporate mummification on purpose into their cultural and religious lives like their zeitgeist it evolved into we do this on purpose because they were so fascinated by this thing that had happened which i think is really interesting i never really realized that somewhere i guess so you'd think there wouldn't be that first guy to say like i know we're burying people but hear me out yeah let's remove their brains with a hook and that's a big one and that i don't think found its way into mummy movies until a little later 
and then it never got out. They didn't like take the hook and pull the brains out. They actually put like liquids up in there to like kind of liquefy the brain, loosen it up, and then it would come out the did, nose gravity did wise. Did you read that from an accredited source and not just Tales yes. from the Crypt? No, it wasn't from Tales from the Crypt. Okay. I promise. Which brings us to the legend of the Pharaoh Ramset, also known as the mummy who wouldn't die. So, um, Kat, yeah. have you ever seen an actual mummy? Um, like in a museum? No. I, I don't know where else you would see I one. haven't. Okay, well, I know I've seen at least one, and that was on a field trip. Cool. So I was of like elementary school field trip age. The best part about it was that this mummy was <laughs> mummified, flipping the bird. What? Arms crossed across the chest, double bird, two middle fingers. What? Straight up. And they're like, this mummy is thousands of years old. And you look at it, and you're getting the double finger right at you. Wow. How old were you? Uh, let's just say somewhere between seven and nine. Boy, they should have known that's all the kids would be taken away from that exhibit. Mm, I think it was, it was at the art museum, which has a big Egypt section. Yeah. Uh, you may know it as where Rocky ran up the steps. We were also being shielded from just rogue penises on Got various it. statues. Sure, yeah. No one really thought about the bird flipping mummy. 3,000 years ago, King Tutty reigned, you know. He must have traveled greatly in his time. King Tutankhamun. Apparently, that's how it's pronounced. When I grew up, I always thought it was Tutankhamun, but it's not. It's Tutankhamun. Just When he was discovered, there was already a a bit of an Egyptian buzz through the 20s because certain ancient Egyptian aesthetics kind of fit with what was going on, which is just like shortened hems. Somebody credited bobbed hair with images of ancient Egyptians. I don't know whether to buy into that, really. That makes sense to me when I think about the flapper aesthetic, that hair. And some, yeah. if you look at some of the hieroglyphics. Uh, slinky women and excesses of gold. Mm. The girls would dance for him and every move a treat. They'd move and move and move, but never move their feet. So then uh, King Tut's tomb got discovered. It was considered an undisturbed tomb because many tombs before that had been found over the centuries and had been looted. But this had all its original stuff still in it, and it was just crazy riches, and people lost their minds over it. tomb didn't have a curse on it, did it? No, I know didn't. several of them did, or a few of them did, few but not them all did, of them. Enough to capture the imagination. I wrote one down. Ooh, do tell. It was a non-King Tut tomb, right? which said, Cursed be those who disturb the rest of a pharaoh, that they shall break the seal of his tomb, shall meet death by a disease that no doctor can diagnose. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty spooky. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman, you'll know, you'll see, you'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. So let's get down to brass tacks, Marshall. The reason why we're here. The reason why we're here. The classic 1932 universal picture, The Mummy. The Mummy. Starring Boris Karloff as The Mummy. I came up onto one of those things where you realize something while you're watching it and you go, oh my gosh, I just formed a hypothesis. I got to tell the world. And then you realize everybody already knows. Oh, yeah. So I was watching it and I was like, this is really just following the beats of Dracula. Ah. 
Well, first, it starts with uh, the song from Swan Lake, which is also yes. the opening of Dracula. So effective. Both are Universal movies. It was made a year after Dracula was made. It's totally Dracula. The Mummy is Dracula. Mm-hmm. With the mummy instead, mm-hmm. which makes sense because the mummy, 1932 with Boris Karloff, does not follow what we think of as mummy movies, which is like a guy in bandages wrapped like a mummy coming and re- wordlessly wreaking havoc, wreaking havoc on everyone. Yeah. yeah. The original story was written by a woman, but it didn't involve mummies at all. Yeah. It involved a guy with like a ray gun. And it was more like a serial. Very odd. Yeah, yeah, at the time. An immortal who robs with a death ray. And from what I remember reading, Carl Lemley Jr., who commissioned that writing of yeah. the script, like he was actually cool with that at first, but something else happened and they wound up going a different direction. But he was like, yeah, ray guns, great, sure. Then they hired the guy who like adapted Dracula from the stage play. Yes, that's what happened. And when he was a journalist... Back, uh, you know, not too long before, he was covering the King Tut discovery. Yeah. So he knew all this mummy stuff. So it totally resembles Dracula. But at the same time, I'm thinking horror movies were so new that when you say to somebody like, hey, uh, write me a horror movie, and you write them something just like Dracula, it's like, duh, you said write me a horror movie. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not the same environment today. It's not the way. Yeah, there's not like every shade of horror movie like there is today. Right. So it's a lot like Dracula. So as I guess we'll talk about it, those points will keep coming up not the least of which is the casting there's like two cast members that were in dracula basically playing the same parts right as like the wise doctor and as the young man in love with the girl who the monster also wants yeah both guys right out of dracula yeah death eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket so the movie starts with, uh, it was set a few years earlier, back around the time that King Tut got discovered. Mm-hmm. And there was just a find, the mummy's already out of the ground, they find an ancient scroll. It's a dangerous scroll with a curse. Mm-hmm. They realize that the mummy was buried alive, not even mummified. Or, hmm, I guess he was spontaneously no, he w- mummified. Yeah. But he was definitely wrapped in bandages and buried alive. Buried alive. And he had his tongue cut off. Nope. That was in the 59 one. Sorry. Yeah, because he totally speaks later. Yeah. In future mummies, they all are sure to mention that his tongue was cut out. So everything that he can do, not among them is speak. I know for future reboots of it, it was a different mummy. So this mummy is Imhotep. Yeah, this one's Imhotep. But then it's Karis later. Karis. All the others were Karis. Yeah. And the first one was uh, Tom Tyler, and then all the rest were Lon Chaney Jr. Hmm. So he was in three of them. So they also find a scroll and... A guy reads from the scroll when when he's all alone, and then just kind of behind him, the mummy opens his eyes, which at the time must have freaked people out. Oh, yeah. And then over the next basically one and a half minutes, you get what we then come to think of later as a mummy movie. Mm -hmm. But in the original The Mummy, it's the only part that really exemplifies that, which is a mummy comes to life, and they don't even show it particularly. They just show him come to life. They show his hands start to move. Yeah, you get some inserts. And he was in, uh, he had eight hours worth of makeup on. Makeup's good. It's not just a bunch of bandages. No, it's great. Boris Karloff said that it was like one of the most excruciating days of his whole life. Yeah. That it was really, really bad. But because he wasn't in as heavy makeup for the rest of the shoot, it was really just one day of like terror for him. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then you see like his hand come and grab the, the scroll. And then I guess that's it. Then you just see like a bandage leave out the door. Yeah. And it's like the mummy, ladies and gentlemen. And the guy who it. sees him, though, goes hysterically mad, which I loved. Yeah. It's that thing that I don't know if it ever happens in real life. I'm not sure what I could see that would be so terrifying that drives you mad instantaneously. How about the living dead? Would that do it for you? I don't know. Maybe. This guy immediately, like, he's cackling with laughter, which is just sure. really which, wonderful. That I was, was like, wow. That early 30s laughter. Yeah. That's when my wheels started turning. I was like, oh, this guy's like Renfield. <laughs> sure. He's the Renfield of it. Just bring everything back to Dracula. Because he was like the handsome young man. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's a handsome young man. He's probably going to be our hero in this story. And then he goes crazy. You know, immediately, immediately the monster takes a hike and you don't see him again until much later when he is a gentleman. Yeah. Just like Dracula. Right. Really. Who introduces himself as Ardith Bay. And this is now what we come to think of as the Borth Karloff voice. Right. Because Frankenstein has about five lines and it's just kind of a sit down. Mm -hmm. Friend, good. But the actual Borth Karloff voice. Which they ascribe to um, Frankenberry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, different cartoon iterations. That lit, of, that little list. Frankenstein. Yeah. Even though it was really the mummy that had it, and Frankenstein didn't really talk that way. And when uh, Hank Azaria played the bad mummy in um, Night at the Museum 2, yeah. he did it all as, <laughs> as Boris Karloff. <laughs> That's great. I Little side note about Boris Karloff that I just learned that just warms my heart yeah. um, is that he was, in fact, really philanthropic and gave generously to many children's charities. Children were in his heart. And from 1940 on, he would play Father Christmas at a disabled children's hospital in Baltimore and hand out presents. Nice. Isn't that sweet? <sighs> it just warms my heart. May I also wish you and yours a most merry Christmas and a prosperous and a happy new year. So then he comes back as... His face is a little jacked. It's kind of wrinkly. A lot. It almost looks like someone has put a bunch of Elmer's glue on his face and then it has dried. You know when you used to do that and to like your hands? Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like more brown. He's kind of pruny. He's very pruny looking. He's very pruny. He's not like just a mummy with a hat. Yeah. Although but, he rocks that fez. Yeah. <laughs> that will not be the last fez. <laughs> no. In, in the mummy movies. No. Fez is a plenty. Mm-hmm. It's a fez. I wear a fez now. Fezzes are cool. The sequels and lots of mummy movies after this, it would be those who disturb the grave will have their vengeance put upon them by the mummy guardian who loves the princess. But not in this film. The first one, it's basically the opposite. He comes to them and says like, hey, I need you to dig my princess up. Here's the general location. I suspect she's nearby. Yeah. Exactly. So they dig her up and he's like, thanks, guys. Yeah. And, and they, they put her in a museum. They put her in a museum. And he's like, great. <laughs> now, yeah. Now I can go visit her. Mm -hmm. And try to revive her corpse. Yeah. Well, then his real agenda takes off and he is deadly. He will with, murder with in the service of that if someone's that, getting in the way. Of, but it's not sure. about killing people. He just wants to that's, bring her yeah, back. That's not his overall plan. But if yeah. a night watchman goes, hey, man, you don't belong here. He's like, well, dead. Mm -hmm. And he kills off screen almost completely, I think. Yeah. Pretty much. In all the future Mummy movies, the Universal Mummy movies, it's left hand strangles. Oh. 
In The Mummy's Hand, The Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Ghost, and The Mummy's Curse, the mummy, which is Karis, uh-huh. is played with a functioning left hand, but the right hand is always sort of pinned up against him. Oh. Just like he staggers his feet, he only has really one working hand. Interesting. And he is in these, sometimes working on his own agenda, but mostly under the control of a generations-long protectorate of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Most of the mummy movies have all had one of those guys. So, though, what I think of as as mummies, and maybe I'm just taking this more from Yummy Mummy, <laughs> is yummy. the two arms out yeah, mummy walk. Of course. And if you watch like an episode of Goosebumps or something like that. Or maybe, Matthew Scott Montgomery on Halloween a couple years ago, it's both arms out. Exactly. But the universal mummy would be one arm in, left arm out, one hand strangle. Interesting. That's how he killed almost everybody was the one hand strangle, but one guy he pushed out a window. Uh-huh. Like a tall window. Uh-huh. Do you have to open graves to find girls to fall in love with? In all, well, almost all horror, definitely all mummy movies, there's the girl. Oh, the girl. In the 1932 film played by Zita Johan. So she's pretty. Yeah. And she, so how do you like that exposition about her? Well, when they try to explain who she is, they just go to two strangers at a table. Right. And they go, I loved that, actually. That, what was her character name? Oh, God. I just wrote down her, like, who she he thinks she is. Yeah, well, she, she was basically the Nina yeah. of the mummy. The and like, Nina Harker. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why, that over there, she's a rich girl with a family tree a mile long. She's here staying with her uncle in Cairo. Yeah. And they say a couple more things about her, and then, like, we never see these guys no. again. You know, and as much as I did kind of think it was funny, I was also like, you know what? Way to, way to get that tight exposition in there. Good for you. Get in, get out. Now yeah. we know. It's fine. But she's she's moony and dreamy and gazing into the, you know, she's ripe she's for the picking. Also, her uncle's, is it her uncle or family friend, whatever, mm-hmm. his I patient. I think it's a family friend. But they never say why. I yeah. think because she's been given to trances yeah. lately because a little later while at a dance, yes, she's under a trance, but not so much that she doesn't stop by the coat check and grab her coat <laughs> on the way out. Sure. And then gets in a cab and is like, to the museum, please. It's a little creepy, actually, because she's just like, she comes up against a door, a locked door to the museum because it's after hours, and she's just like bumping it's into it. It's very creepy. And if the dashing young man, whose father originally discovered Emotep, uh, the Jonathan Harker uh-huh. of all this, hadn't found her, would she have just started like bumping her head into it just endlessly? Yeah. And she's trying to get into the museum. She knows not why. She's kind of under a trance, but Emotep is she's calling saying, her. Emotep. Yeah. And she doesn't know why she's being drawn, but she is. And so they gather her up and take her back. And the young man... Puts her on like a fainting couch or a chaise lounge. Yes, a swooning couch. And the young man professes his love for her and she's bashful about it, but not unwelcoming. And then... What's his name when he's not Emotep? Ardeth Bay. So Ardeth Bay shows up and they're still like, Ardeth Bay? Yeah. Thanks for coming around. Hey, buddy. What are you doing here? It's the guy who helped us find the thing. (laughs) One thing I I just have to interject and say that I really appreciated is that there is a scene where he's in the room with these two men and he I think it's right after they've tried to escort him in. I do not wish to be touched. He says that mm-hmm. they have a little bit more conversation. They try to invite him to do something else and he declines and he's just being Audith Bay and very weird and speaking in that Frankenberry voice. And then he leaves the room and it's been he's behaved so oddly that I was like thinking, God, what a weirdo and thinking you know, in 2014, that's what people would say if someone like that left the room. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the men goes, well, he's a strange one, isn't he? Like, <laughs> and it's just, I was so relieved and happy that someone just acknowledged it, that they weren't going to pretend like that's normal. It was great. Anyway, but he, yes, he comes back. His mission now is to get the soul of his dead princess and put her in a living body, basically. Yeah. And in order to do this, he has to entrance and then mummify mm-hmm. young we're just calling her Nina because we yeah. can't remember her name. I can't remember her name. So basically the Nina of mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. And this allows for something that I've enjoyed in many of the Mummy movies. Her almost and naked her torso. Almost na- well, <laughs> and it's part of why like the 20s embraced Egypt mania so much is because it's like slinky clothes. And yeah. it's like, well, that's how they did it back in the day. And they dance like this. Yes. <laughs> uh, Marshall's walking like an Egyptian right now yep. as much as one can walk while sitting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, like, she's in a, um, then, like, a side boob costume. An under boob costume. Helen? Is her name Helen? It might be Helen. All right. We could Anyways. just look it up. I was so flustered by this under boob revealing costume that in, I in, in went... 1932! I went on, like, a 30-minute tangent into the Hayes Code, <laughs> the history of nudity in film, and let's just say... I just loved her costume. Yes, and in other mummy movies, one of them being uh, we both watched a Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, it Creep, was Creep it Course. Creep Course. It was an episode from season five. It's pretty good. It was ridiculous, but in the way that all great Tales from the Crypt, I, well, I don't know if I want to call this a great Tales from the Crypt episode, but in in any good Tales from the Crypt episode, it's it's there are things. Because they have a limited amount of time, they got to progress the story and characters are doing things that are just completely ridiculous. And there are reveals where you're like, how in the hell did these two get in cahoots, you know? But you just accept it. You just suspend your disbelief and you just enjoy the puns and it's fine. You got Jeffrey Jones as the like Egyptology professor. He was excellent. Anthony Michael Hall used to be the geek for all seasons. Now he's the jock. Now he's a jock. He had a few years playing jocks or maybe just that in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. I'm glad he clocked a little time as a jock. Totally. After being the go-to geek. He does a fine job. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's like the mousy girl who gets tricked into becoming like a human sacrifice Mm -hmm. who outsmarts him by like putting on the headdress and saying like, And making love to the mummy. Let's not forget that she has sex with him. We don't see it happen. She comes out and just goes, Boy. Was he happy to see me? Oh, boy. And at, while she's now uh, in control of the mummy, she is also wearing the... Um, Gilded everything. Mm-hmm. The Egyptian outfit uh, boobs to the world. I actually really recommend going and watching this episode, and you can watch it on YouTube right now if you feel like it. It's in two parts, three parts. But um, again, it's Creep Course, Tales from the Crypt. But my favorite thing about the episode, well, actually, two things I want to mention. Number mm-hmm. one are the puns, the Crypt Keeper's puns. Okay. Some of my favorite of which You've were... you them down. Uh-huh. Some of my favorite of which were, because this was about a professor and his students, uh, school. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, I um, got it. The college, Harvard. Not Harvard, Harvard, and there was a Harvard pennant behind him in the in the opening. Look for it. Um, higher education and hackademia, which I think might have been my favorite. Um, but the other thing I want to mention is that when you sent me this episode, I had a really emotional moment watching this. A really confusing time jump, like out of body thing, because mm. you sent me the episode and I was watching it. And not remembering having seen it before and going, oh, this is, you know, fun. And then it got to the part where the mummy is 
pulling Jeffrey Jones' brains out of his nose with a hook. Oh, yeah. Or really just shoving the hook up in there and working it around. And I had blocked that out, but it scarred me as a child. And I didn't remember until I was watching that scene again. And I was like, oh, my God, I used to watch this as a kid. It was so overwhelming. I can't explain. Like, it it wasn't deja vu, but it was just like... I, 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 I've seen this many times. It used to really scare me. But what really disturbed me this time is that Jeffrey Jones feeds Anthony Michael Hall a drink that liquefies his insides. Yes. And he, he shits himself and like throws up all at the same time. What was supposed to be his organs? It's supposed to be his organs coming out of his body. And the, his liquefied organs running out from the bottom of his jeans onto his shoes and the sound every, all it was making. I know this sounds dumb, but I forgot that Tales from the Crypt can be so incredibly brutal and disgusting because I know what it is. It's just I think of it as like funny. Yeah. And I didn't expect something. That, I bet you that will haunt my dreams. Like that moment is so gross. gross. But check it out, you guys. Now, also on the um, the subject of like after a certain point in Mummy. Can't call it a movie. It's on TV. But using mummies, yeah, the embalming practices are really highlight. Once the world got keen to how they get the brains out, yeah, tales from the dark side, colon the movie. Mm-hmm. One of the segments in that has to do with a mummy. I don't mm-hmm. know if you watched it. I did watch it as a kid, but I probably blocked that out too. Okay. I watched it a lot, but I haven't watched it as an adult. I totally remembered that it was Christian Slater who lives in the same building as Steve Buscemi. And Steve Buscemi, they're they're both like, oh my god, so did young. I block this one out too? Is there something with a hook in the brain? Totally. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. And um, Buscemi has been wronged by like the the, pre- the preppy duo, which is a uh, like Christian Slater's sister and her preppy boyfriend cheated out out of a scholarship. He gets through an auction a mummy, and in the mummy is a scroll, which he then can read and like send them on vengeance runs. Right. Which the first one, the mummy takes a coat hanger. <gasps> Oh my god, oh my god, I remember that too, oh my god. Yeah. This is so traumatic for me. The second one is the sister who I never knew was Julianne Moore. Hey! A pretty early in her career. A second time mention on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> she came up before. Yeah, when, when back when she did a commercial for um, Time, time, time Life. Life Books. Yeah. I never thought I would believe in it until it happened to me. And, and where as she got... Um, her insides kind of cut open and stuffed with flowers because that was a thing. Oh my God. I have to rewatch Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. What I'm Do remembering it. is the is there a gargoyle sequence at the end of that? Mm-hmm. Is that the last one? Yeah, there's See, gargoyle. I know I've, I used to watch that all the time. It'll be really weird rewatching that movie. But yes, I do remember that mummy segment. Yeah. Ugh. So when I was looking up embalming techniques, one thing I was looking for was, did they put flowers on the inside? And what I read was, nah, mostly salt. Hmm. And I was like, was there a liquefying drink that'll liquefy the organs? Like what happened to Anthony Michael Hall? I was like, no, they took them out and put them in jars. Yeah. But that brain hook thing. Yeah. Totally true. Totally true. No, I'm alive. I'm young. I won't die. I loved you once. But now you belong with the dead. I guess we should just wrap up the storyline of the 1932 mummy, which is just that he's trying to imbue her with the spirit of Unk es en Amun, his princess. princess. And she's oddly drawn to him and almost gives in. Yeah, she's really close. Well, as the princess, not even as Nina, I keep calling her. Yeah. 
infuriatingly to anybody who actually knows. <laughs> I know. And we could really just look it up right now on our phones, but... We're on a roll. Yeah. Um, it's fine. As the princess speaking through the body, which is why I think she knows English, mm-hmm. and the mummy, he had about 10 years to go off and learn English because mm-hmm. there's that big gap after yeah. he leaves out the door. And when we see him again, there's a nice English learning gap mm-hmm. in there. Future movies don't seem to worry about it, why the mummy seems to understand English instructions. As both the girl and the princess sort of occupying the same mind, doesn't want to live forever as a mummy and starts praying to Isis to come and help her. And then this big statue of Isis, like its its arm just moves on its own, which, you know, in Dracula, they had the cross. Mm -hmm. So it was like, power of Christ. And this one just goes, Egypt gods are real. Yeah. (laughs) At least if you're Egyptian and pray into one. Yeah. And or half Egyptian. So the uh, god Isis steps in and Boris Karloff freezes, looks decayed, looks a little more decayed, and collapses as like a dusty skeleton. Yeah. So, and then he becomes dust. And very true to the monster movies back then, when the monster dies, you just end it. Yeah. He's done. That's the end of the movie. Because he's even like talking to like the passed out girl and she doesn't even wake up and go, I'm okay, let's get married. It's like monster dies. It's a universal picture. Mm-hmm. Yep. The end. And really, we have to remember, or at least mm-hmm. let's just all take a moment. Yeah. It was all for love. Yeah. It's all for love. It was all he for love. He loved his princess. His love had collateral damage. To, it did. Uh, to other it as as love often does, Marshall. The mummy, the living dead, bringing terror and death across four thousand years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. I also watched the 1959 Christopher Lee Peter Cushing Hammer Horror release The Mummy, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought it was really, really fun. Let me uh, flip to my notes. <clears throat> Father and son discover a tomb, but the son has a broken leg. That's what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that that broken leg was going to come back in some way. And other than him having a limp, it doesn't really. But I think it helps for his character to show like how much he loves his dad, how dedicated he was to staying on site. Well, here's something else. And I don't want to diminish the um, scariness of the mummy as one of the main pantheon of monsters. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be used a lot when it's going after the elderly or infirmed. You know what I mean? It's got a lot Except of... Except in It when it's going after the kids. Yes. Or or kids. They'll show up in like, like Goosebumps. They'll oh, show up sure. in an episode of uh, Eerie Indiana. And Cushing's got a limp. You know, so, so when you go up against... His leg healed funny because he wouldn't go see a doctor. He was all excited about the dig. Mm-hmm. Imagine a zombie movie with only one zombie. Which actually sometimes is how zombie movies start. But if a mummy attacks yeah. somebody, you don't get a second mummy. <laughs> And right. Then, and then a horde of mummies. Right. Which would be pretty scary. That would be pretty awesome, actually, as, as a movie. Uh, just Copyrighted. All, all these mummies. Get on it. Marshall Hicks, 2014. But really, it's not moving very fast. It's determined. Mm-hmm. And, in, and it might not fall down if you shoot it a couple of times, which true. is scary. In that sense, it's almost like the Terminator. Totally. And not too unlike a single zombie who um, it's like, here he comes. Slowly. Yeah. It's got the element of surprise sometimes. And the element of looking really scary so as to frighten people who see it. True. People have gotten really knocked off their uh, their game by seeing a mummy come out. I mean, I think I would. 
something else that I watched for this was Bubba Hotep. And folks, if you haven't seen it, watch it, please. Not even as a comedy or as a horror movie or as a mummy movie, but just as a good movie. It's a good character piece. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's about people finding their strength and, you know. And, and purpose. And purpose. You know, not wasting away to nothing. Yeah, everyone in this nursing home in Texas is just kind of just watching the, the clock tick, including our, our heroes. And Elvis and JFK? Well, yes, a, a man who believes himself to be Elvis. We believe it, too. I believe it. And a man who also claims to be JFK, who, because the other guy is Elvis, just accepts. Yes. If, if nothing else, when they have each other, they accept each other's Yes. Even though Ossie Davis is black. They dyed me this color. They managed to find some vigor in life in going up against a mummy who is uh, sucking life, what life is left, out of the people of a nursing home. Right. What we have here at Shady Rest is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotep. So, swinging back to the works of uh, Mr. Cushing and Lee. Yeah. A mummy does find its way to England. Just like uh, in the mummy sequels, it finds its way to America. Right. Uh, but the mummy winds up in the bog until it gets summoned. Mm-hmm. And uh, comes up to, uh, this is another movie where the mummy is doing the bidding of a third party. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. But yeah, this one follows, it's Karis, the high priest. Yes? Who becomes a mummy. Same kind of thing happening where he's in love with the woman he's not supposed to be in love with, but yeah. he loved her and she loved him. And she, in the 1959 version, she does fall ill. There's some kind of disease that takes her really young. And he's very sad. And then there are these shots of Christopher Lee's face in the flashbacks to ancient Egypt. And he's so sad. He looks so upset. Like, he looks so sure. heartbroken that she's dead. And he go. he's caught trying to revive her body, which is verboten. He's not supposed to do it. So they cut off his tongue. Yeah. And then bury him alive, which is just really brutal. So... He is revived in much the same way as it happens in the original film. Scroll? Yeah. Okay. It's a scroll. And the man who revived him is frightened and goes insane and is put in a mental institution. Mm. And he's the father of the character played by Peter Cushing. That's right. Peter Cushing, who seems to have always been old, <laughs> has a father. Oh, and so if Peter Cushing, just picture his dad. His dad's yeah. really old. Yeah. So if you're going to have a mummy who doesn't move very fast going after somebody. Perfect. Peter Cushing's dad is a pretty easy target. Yep. And I thought Peter Cushing was quite dashing in this film. I loved, I loved everyone the way they talked. I found that the woman who was the love interest, the lead in this film, her English accent was almost as ridiculous as Maid Marian's accent in Robin Hood Men of Tights. Like, you know, oh, Robin, I'm so happy. Like, it's so British. The woman in this movie is like, oh, you wouldn't do that, would you? I don't know why you have to go out there again. You know, it's just very, oh, do, oh, do come back home. Do come home quickly. It's so British. <laughs> I can't, I just every, I was it's hanging on her every word. It is the Britishest. And there's also an element of, it's not that she is Egyptian and, you know, he wants to imbue her with whatever, but the mummy gets confused by her because she, as we've established already, because Peter Cushing's character looks at a drawing of her, that she looks very much 
the spitting image of his princess, of the mummy's princess. And he's like, well, I've never noticed it before, but you look just like, you know, her. And she's like, wow, that's interesting. And then when, she, when the mummy sees her, he's just disarmed. And she can kind of direct him, sort of. Um, when she's not fainting. So, so in some of these movies, it's a woman who actually is a vessel for the princess, mm-hmm. for which it doesn't hurt if you're part Egyptian. In others, it's just someone who looks enough like the princess, yeah. the mummy, or the high priest goes, that'll do. Mm-hmm. Let's start a ceremony. Right. We haven't really touched on, and it's really more action adventure than it is horror, but the remake of The Mummy. Yeah. Um, Universal's, what was that, 99? Yeah, the it was. With Brandon Fraser. This is the first movie I ever saw in surround sound at somebody's house. I was at like a house party in ninth grade. Like friend, I went to a friend's house and there were a bunch of us there. And we watched The Mummy. I'm a mummy. So in the remake, the most horrific horror element of it, and because it's The Mummy, it's, it's kept under horror even though I think of it more action-adventure. It certainly is, yeah. Though there are some pretty scary parts in The Mummy. Like, The Mummy has to rebuild its body, and it has to do this with the skin of the people who desecrated the tomb. Uh So he's got some very specific victims. It's almost like Hellraiser. (laughs) It is. Really, it's a PG-13 Hellraiser in those scenes. And the first guy he goes after is, again, when he's at his most sort of staggery mummy, who does he go after? The Infirmed. And that's the guy who can't see without his glasses. So he can't see without his glasses. He's feeling around. He's feeling around. And he goes after him and he takes a guy's tongue, which is just horrific. Yeah. And he takes the guy's eyes. And then he sees Rachel Weiss. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, it's my princess. Having said that, he takes the eyes of a guy who can't see very well without his glasses. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Looks at the first female and goes, princess? Good enough to me. You can't see. He'd think anybody was a princess. (laughs) I'm surprised he's not talking to a coat rack with a hat on top going like, I will make you live forever. That would be a very different movie. Yeah. Also, I would have liked it if the mummy had uh, picked up the guy's glasses and just went, oh. Well, that's better. Oh, I can see now. (laughs) I can see now. (laughs) Where will we find the mummy? Don't worry, the mummy will find you. Something else I watched for this project was... Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. I was waiting on that from you. Yeah. Go it's on. Fun. It was the last monster movie they did. It was like their next to last movie period together. When I was reading, people were saying it's not the best Abbott and Costello meet. Yeah, but you know what? Even their worst is uh, is still a pretty fun time. Uh-huh. And they've got some pretty decent routines. Uh, lots of trapdoors and trapdoor-based comedy, which I'm actually a pretty good fan of. Nice. A creature that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town, and it's brought death with it. We've got to run it down. How mummies wind up getting killed. Mm. The god Isis came and took care of one. In the first one. In the 59 one, they blast him apart with a bunch of guns. Okay. The girl gets, she's, she instructs him, Karis, put me down. Because he tells her to tell the mummy to put her down. Because he's doing the monster carry. Thought yeah. about you. Carries the lady, the a lot pretty of good lady. Monster carries. Uh-huh. Carries the pretty lady who's passed out into the bog. She wakes up and she says, Garis, put me down. So he does. She swims away slowly. And then Peter Cushing says, You know, when I tell you to, get down as low as you can. Because all the police are all around and they just fire, fire, and his fit. Like there's a shot where his head kind of like starts blowing apart. 
they kind of just like eviscerate him with guns. So the guns. guns won't stop him. A lot of guns. A lot of guns him. that break his body apart will stop him. In the mummy's hand, they set him on fire. He was like in a house fire. There you go. But by the mummy's tomb, didn't seem to affect him. Hmm. He's just up and about. Interesting. So maybe that doesn't seem to work as well as you think. In the mummy's ghost, walks into the swamp. Nobody kills him. Huh. He walks into the swamp with the girl. Oh, by the way, a girl doesn't get away in this one. Ooh. She's also one of those party Egyptian girls. Uh, Sexy. Who is then um, going to become imbued with the spirit. Yeah. Of the late princess as he walks toward the swamp. Well, every time she like encounters the mummy, her hair gets another white streak. <gasps> Ooh. And then her hair is all white. <gasps> and then she starts to shrivel up and he takes her into the swamp. That's pretty cool. And there'd been a good through line through all of these up until the last one, Mummy's Curse, where everything's the same except now the swamp is in Louisiana. And you're like, wasn't that just in, a, <laughs> just in New England? And they're like, who remembers? You don't remember. <laughs> There's no such thing as home video. And this won't be released to TV until 1958. Yeah. I checked that out. It was part of the second wave of the Universal Shock Package called Son of Shock. Yeah, the first time, the first Shock Package is when they released the bulk of Universal uh-huh. horror movies to TV. There was a follow-up Shock Package. Cool. Son of Shock. Very cool. Found that out today. I And I found it out today as well. <laughs> Just now. And then at the end of The Mummy's Curse... The roof collapses on him. But I bet that doesn't work for long. However, what I've been leaving out of all of this is that throughout all of the hand, tomb, curse, ghost movies, there's been a tea made with ancient leaves that keeps growing in importance with, with each movie. How the high priest has to boil this tea, use no more than nine leaves, or else it becomes a killing machine that can't be stopped. Oh boy. Uh, which I'm just waiting for that tenth leaf. And yeah. It, and they never do it. The Klaatu Verata yeah. that screws everything up. or Yeah. Someone to just like lose count of the things yeah. and go like, wait, was it six or seven? <laughs> right. That would have been perfect. That's a perfect setup for something that doesn't happen. Yeah. So it, it never happens. They only stick to the nine leaves to give it power. But the only guy who knows the secret of the leaves dies in the same roof collapse. Hmm. So no leaves, no mummy. Hmm. And I guess it worked because that was the last one. Yeah. Until Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. They use dynamite. They're throwing around some dynamite. The mummy gets it or gets too close to it and blows up. So that's how you kill a mummy. Ooh. And the monster squad, they just tie its wrapping to the Jeep and drive. And that seems to be all it takes. It unravels. Well, that makes sense. And the dust comes out of it. That makes total sense. And it's like, that's how you kill a mummy, people. <laughs> With a car. If right. only you had access to a car. That's showing a moose boss, Bracco. Was that really necessary? You have to defile a mummy completely or they come back to life. You know that. I want to share something um, because, you know, this podcast isn't about all the darkness necessarily. We like to take a lighter tone and tell you heartwarming things from time to time. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were BFFs in real life. Were they in in their day like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart? They were. They really were. Thought this might come in handy. Oh, good idea. Two of you together. That's fine. But what if one of you is the monster? Monster? We're British, you know. They were great friends. The best of friends. And I ran across something that Christopher Lee said about Peter Cushing after he died. Let me have it. This was in an interview included on the DVD release of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Christopher Lee said, I don't want to sound gloomy, but at some point of your lives, every one of you will notice that you have in your life one person... One friend whom you love and care for very much. That person is so close to you that you are able to share some things only with him. 
For example, you can call that friend and from the very first maniacal laugh or some other joke, you will know who is at the other end of that line. I used to do that with him so often. And then when that person is gone, there will be nothing like that in your life ever again. I just welled up reading that because it's so sweet and there, and he's so emotive about his friend, you know, and that's all. I just thought the horror community could use a little hug of friendship from boys and ghouls to you. (laughs) I mean, can't we, don't we all wish we could have, you know, like not everyone has a friend like that, you know, and to, to think of the two of them, just like I read that before I watched the 1959 The Mummy. Oh, so you went into it. With and that. I went into, went into it going, oh, they're best friends. And maybe they weren't best friends at that point. But yeah, I just love that. Nice. So, I guess I wouldn't have probably approached these films were we not going to do it for the podcast, at least not for a while. Like, if they'd come into my sphere, I probably would have, but I don't usually seek out mummy movies. Uh, When when you go to the the video store to rent a horror movie, or these days, Netflix, to bring up a horror movie. You tend to gloss over the mummy movies? Yeah, but I will say that I would probably get friends together, especially to watch the Hammer, the mummy. Yeah. Because it really is fun. You've got, like, you've got the drunk, the character who's, like, you know, always needs a drink, and you've got... But there's a lot of really fun stuff with the mummy and the woman who's insensibly in this beautiful dress for the final scene. Like, why is she in this ridiculous red dress? And it's very... Yeah. Anyway, I'm very glad... To have sort of jumped in this way and seen the stuff that I hadn't seen before. And I couldn't recommend it more. While I was watching these much older films, I wasn't wishing that I was like, well, it would have been like World War II for most of them. So I would have been like a GI station who knows where. <laughs> sure. Uh, nor do I did I wish I was like, oh man, I wish I could have seen this at, at a matinee. But I do wish that I was, say, born 15 years earlier. So I could have caught them as the late night movie. Yeah. You know, uh, just kind of come home from work. Now, when you come home from work and just sit down and see what's on the TV, I don't know. It's mostly um, infomercials mm-hmm. or what have you. Rarely do you get like, and now the million dollar movie, The Mummy's Ghost, starring Lon Chaney and John Carradine. And now The Mummy's Ghost. Ah, uh, Mummy's Ghost. All right. Good for what else, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you know even, I'm um, of course, I relate everything in my life to whatever Stephen King book I'm currently reading, and I'm reading it right now. And there's a scene in the book and in the movie, but it happens a little differently in the book, where Richie and Ben and Beverly go to the movies. They go to the Aladdin Theater in town, and they watch, like, I think a double feature of a couple of horror films, yeah. you know? And one of them is, I, I'd have to look, I want to say one of them was, because it's 58. So what would have come out? Well, the movie stayed in the theater a lot longer. Right. So back it then. was probably part of the original franchise, but at any rate, these 11-year-old kids like pay an aquata to go see the mummies whatever. And I'm yeah. I'm jealous of that too. 
Yeah, well, we can't go back to the old Bijou yeah. to watch it, and I can't come home and watch the uh, the Million Dollar Movie. But you know what, folks? We've still got the Netflix. Not every video store has been shut down, and there's more than a couple fun choices on uh, well, just YouTube. Mm-hmm. And you, you can rent things on iTunes. Fun. If you're like me, you can rent the 1932 Mummy uh, and pay money for it, and then realize it's it? already streaming on Netflix. <laughs> okay. So you can do that. So check out a good Mummy movie, people. Uh, we did. And even though it took us to the 26th episode, as we covered different facets of horror, we certainly didn't get to the mummy right away. Yeah. But we're certainly glad we did. All right. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, do you have anything to plug? No, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in talks for a feature horror film soon, but there's nothing solid Too early yet. to release Way any information, Way too early people. to talk about it. Cats in talks. It's literally to the extent that I've auditioned and I'm supposed to be meeting the producer in a couple of weeks but if it happens i'll let you know excellent and um now on the internet you can catch me as a zombie spent an afternoon acting as a zombie in a nick sweets is that hitting the internet the working dead (laughs) i went to its uh its premiere out in see me but uh, i believe that everybody can enjoy it just look up the working dead.tv fantastic i didn't know it was up yet i believe it's in five parts and i am the zombie with a beard i'm not sure if i think i'm the only bearded zombie I'll, you know, i bet i'll be able to find you jeans and a white shirt yeah. folks covered in blood that's so exciting that's really really fun yes. yay yay next week all right so folks uh thanks for tuning in cat another one down another one bites the mummy egyptian dust right and as always <laughs> Beware the moon. Beware the cake.